I would love to tell you that, uh, that in ending last week that we were done with this idea of stewardship. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about money anymore, all right? But what I am going to talk about is something that is vitally important to us as a church and specifically to each one of us as believers. We're going to talk about doctrine. We're going to talk about that which we believe and why we believe it and what its purpose for our life is. The main key that I want us to focus in on over the course of the next weeks is that we remember that doctrine is not only for head knowledge. There are many that will spend an eternity in hell with good doctrine. Let me say that again. There are many who will spend an eternity apart from the one that they hold good doctrine about. You see, just because we know all the stuff doesn't amount to a hill of beans in eternity. What does matter is what we do with that doctrine. What does matter is how that doctrine affects our life. When we look at sound doctrine, the first thing that we must understand is that it is for life. Jesus would not have said the things that he said just so we could fill textbooks and graduate from the school of Christology. God did not divinely inspire all 66 books of the Holy Bible just so that we could get a piece of paper or an accolade or some accomplishment that we know all of it. No, there is purpose, great purpose in the teaching that we find in sound doctrine. And it's for our life. I want to begin this morning with framing why we would approach this, and I want to begin with this idea of an orchestra. You guys know what an orchestra is, right? It's a bunch of really cool instruments with cool names that look kind of cool, that alone, when they are played by themselves, they have okay value, but when you put them all together... It makes something beautiful. But there's some interesting points about an orchestra, and I want to read an excerpt from the 1985 New York Times as they were looking at Lillian Eisenberg. Let me read for you. Moments before the first notes of the new concert season are heard Saturday night on the spacious grounds of Lyndhurst in Terrytown, concert concert goers will see a tall, slim woman walk to the front of the orchestra. All sounds of players warming up and practicing will abruptly stop as orchestra decorum dictates and then start again as Lillian Eisenberg, the concert master, begins to tune the orchestra. Only when she is satisfied that all players are in tune will Miss Eisenberg take her seat as first violinist signaling Stephen Simon, music director and conductor of the Summer of Music Festival Orchestra, 
that the concert may begin. Articulate and revealing and infectious enthusiasm for her work, Miss Eisenberg spoke recently about a concertmaster's complex role and pivotal position in orchestra. I would like to equate the concertmaster to our doctrine. The concertmaster's job involves several paradoxes, said Miss Eisenberg. On the one hand, I must play with the discipline of an orchestra member and strive to blend with the other first violins. Yet when a passage arises for violin alone, I must play with the freedom and brilliance of a soloist. It is my responsibility to see that the strings play as one voice, she continued. I must study each score thoroughly and exert my authority in matters of bowing, articulation, and phrasing. Yet at the same time, I must be totally subservient to the conductor and convey his ideas about the music to the rest of the orchestra. Understanding and passing on the conductor's concept and inspiration is the concertmaster's greatest challenge. The players depend on the concertmaster, who is appointed by the conductor to solve technical problems and confer with the conductor about any difficulties they may have in carrying out his wishes. As we begin to look at doctrine, I want us to understand its place in leading us to unity and harmony as a church. The concertmaster is pivotal if we are to learn to play the right notes in the right way. If you have your Bibles, take and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to understand that in context, Paul is writing to Timothy in both of his letters, and also later when he writes to Titus, he's writing with the intent of speaking to the minister. But we know this text is for all of us. We know the concepts. We know the precepts. We know the intricacies and the insights are for all of us. So I want us to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you would, stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. I will begin in verse 3. Paul writing to Timothy says this, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Let's pray together. Father God, as we dive into your word, as we let your word inspire and teach us, God, I pray that we would see what you desire. God, that your word would be the concert master in our heart. That you would convey your ideas, that you would convey your intentions, that you would give your interpretation, and that we would trust and honor you in it. God, we want to give you the honor and the glory this morning. May you speak to us, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to read for you real quick, as you've said, I want to read for you real quick just a few verses in 2 Timothy. 
Paul wanted to drive home to Timothy this idea of the importance of doctrine and its place in our life. You see, without it, we are all subject to our own. And although there are some brilliant minds in this room, and although there are some brilliant minds in our belief system, although there are some brilliant minds in theology, philosophy, and doctrine in general, we must first consider that the Word of God is what we should follow. Timothy at a struggling church in Ephesus receives these words from Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus and by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present Yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And finally, in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There is never a time that these words have been more relevant than I believe right now in the church of Jesus Christ. We have seen it grow around us. We have seen even within us the desire to move away from what we know is doctrinally true to what we feel is better. And church, we've got to stop. We must understand that sound doctrine is for our life. That it is not just some passing thing. It is not just something that only the smart people talk about. It is not something that only those who have vested hours and hours and hours in the study of the Scriptures and in the study of the saints. It's not just for them. It's for all of us. As we journey through this series entitled Sound Doctrine, we will focus on the application of doctrine in our life. Its relevance. And from time to time, we will address some of the important doctrinal beliefs that we hold as a church. And I want you to understand a few things. We, we talked about this this last Wednesday night uh, in, in the adult Bible study. There are some things doctrinally, there are some things scripturally that you have to trust in and have to believe in, but you don't have to understand. And the truth is, is that we may never understand some of them. We may never understand some of these doctrinal truths that we hold to. 
But it's not for us to understand in this life. What it is for is for our faith. It is for us to trust in the God who is over that, in the director. We will use Titus and Timothy in much of this time to frame this doctrinal application. The Apostle Paul had been established as a champion of sound doctrine. Paul was a cool guy because he not only understood all of the Jewish texts, he not only understood all of the philosophy guys, I mean, he was, he was a philosophy guy. But he also knew that God had inspired, that every word out of the Scriptures is true. That's why he told Timothy, hold tight to that which you've been given. You see, Paul desired to see this carried out in his sons in the faith. Timothy and Titus, as we see in their letters to them, they were in tough places, having to deal with tough tough issues of doctrine. And Paul stepped in and said, hold tight to that which you believe. To begin this series, the Lord would have us to understand that sound doctrine is the foundation of a life spent following Christ. Sound doctrine is for life. As the great theologian Aaron Tippin put it, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Paul admonishes Timothy several times to cling to, follow, rightly divide, stand approved in, and teach sound doctrine. It is of great importance that we understand sound doctrine and apply it in our lives. So what is doctrine? Doctrine, simply put, is putting the Bible's teaching into our words. Words that we can understand. What makes it sound is that it is summarized rightly and faithfully according to Scripture. A working definition of sound doctrine is a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. Why is doctrine important? We must understand the importance of doctrine, its implications and its applications, in order to see the value of it. When we see the importance, we find great meaning and intention in the things that we do. Bobby Jameson gives a great example for this in his book entitled Sound Doctrine. Doctors have to make complicated decisions on short notice with a lot at stake. What enables a good physician to make wise choices is an extensive knowledge of the human body. You cannot know if a kidney is failing unless you know what a kidney is and how it should work. Don't you, aren't you glad your doctor knows what a kidney is, right? That is why doctors spend many years studying the human anatomy and physiology so that they can make accurate diagnosis and prescribe appropriate remedies in a moment, sometimes with life-saving consequences. In some way, the Christian life is not very different. We have to make complicated decisions in real time with a lot at stake. And as in practicing medicine, there's no easy formula for some of those decisions. So we need wisdom. The foundation for that wisdom 
lies in a bedrock of knowledge. Knowledge of the things God has revealed in His Word. Scripture is not exhaustive. There are plenty of true things that Scripture does not say. Nevertheless, Scripture is sufficient. In His Word, God tells us in everything we need to know to be saved and to live a life that is pleasing to Him. In Titus 2.1, Paul instructs Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Notice he did not to say to teach sound doctrine itself. Titus and Timothy were told to teach the people that which would help them walk in the path that sound doctrine lines out. I'll go ahead and make a side note here. When we see the importance, we can understand why there are distinct differences among denominations of believers. Some doctrines that we hold as Southern Baptists are unwavering, such as salvation through Christ alone and the security of the believer. Some doctrines, however, have little enough eternal value that we should not stumble over them and refuse to join the church universal in the gospel work of Jesus Christ because of them. Just as an example, this last summer we took the students to Memphis And upon arriving, we found out that there would be another church that would be joining us that week. And from what we were told, they were based out of Southern Baptist. They were a non-denom church, but non-denoms are pretty much just churches that took Southern Baptist off the wall. And so, as we began to progress through the week, we found that there were some major doctrinal differences between this church And our church, between what they believe and what we believe. I want to tell you that it doesn't stop the gospel. Just because that someone believes differently about worship, or believes differently about healing, or believes differently about giving than you do, it does not mean that you should avoid the gospel cause because they're present. We see that in our own community. We have an organization called the Bristol Ministerial Alliance where we partner with other churches in the area for the cause of the gospel. Do we believe like they do? In some ways, no, we don't. Should it stop us from furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ? Especially when that point itself is not of difference, it shouldn't. But moving forward, I want to talk about this morning, I want to talk about how sound doctrine is for life. I want to give you three greatly important reasons to establish sound doctrine as the foundation of a life spent following Christ. First is this, sound doctrine leads to a sound faith. Sound doctrine leads to a sound faith. The foundation of a life spent following Christ begins at faith. According to Ephesians 2.8, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. A sound faith comes from trusting in sound doctrine. 
Sound faith comes from trusting that Jesus is who he says he is and that he has done and will do what he says he did and will do. Two distinct stories stand out in my mind when I think about this principle that sound doctrine leads to a sound faith. That understanding who Jesus is leads us to relationship with him. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 9, the paralytic man who was lowered down through the ceiling by his friends? What does it say that Jesus did when that happened? Matthew 9, 2 says this, seeing their faith. Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Faith is an important part, and it is only important when it is based on sound doctrine. Just a little later in Matthew chapter 9, we see a woman in the crowd. She kneels down and she touches the edge of Jesus' robe, and Jesus turns. And he asks, who touched me? And then the disciples got lippy with Jesus for a second. And then the woman came forward. She's been healed. And what does Jesus say to her? Woman, your faith has made you well. Here's the point I want you to understand. When you and I have a sound view of God, when we have a sound view of Jesus, and when we have a sound view of the Holy Spirit, our faith is increased and our faith is solidified. We always talk about the faith of a mustard seed. Moreover, the reality is that we try to figure out how to work up that amount of faith. And we often get so down on ourselves because, gosh, it's the faith of a mustard seed. Surely I could have the faith of a mustard seed and I can make this mountain move. We often think the issue is that we do not have enough faith. I want to propose something to you this morning. What if it is that we don't have enough doctrine? If you and I truly knew, truly believed, and were truly convinced of the big doctrinal view of God, it would not be just mountains we could move. You see, a small doctrine leads to small faith, but sound doctrine leads to sound faith. What you believe about God will directly affect your faith in Him. What you believe about Jesus will directly affect your faith in Him. What you believe about the Holy Spirit's power in your life will directly affect the faith by which you step out and do that which He's called you to do. You see, the problem is not that we're little on faith. The problem is that we're little on doctrine. You guys, think about it. How big is your God? You may tell me, with all the head knowledge in the world, my God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's amazing. He's creator. He's provider. You may tell me that with all the head knowledge in the world. But we would walk away from that conversation with just as little faith as we came to it, wouldn't we? You see, until we believe 
sound doctrine, till we cling to sound doctrine. That's why Paul told Timothy this. Cling to it. Because when you understand and grasp that, you can do anything that God calls you to do. We know Timothy, timid little Timothy. Timothy who's supposed to go out as this young kid and tell all these elders what they're supposed to be doing and tell the church how it's supposed to be going. And Paul has to tell him, listen, I know that your stomach's hurting. Take a little wine for that. But you need to go out and take care of business. Cling to, understand that which you've been taught. Church, it's time that we stepped out in big faith, understanding our big God. Sound faith with sound doctrine as its foundation. Secondly, sound doctrine leads to a sound heart. Sound doctrine leads to a sound heart. Psalm 119.11, you know it. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, God. I hope that you're beginning to see how sound doctrine will affect every area of your life. Truly none more than the heart. You see, the heart of a man is an interesting thing in the world of doctrine. Often alluded to in the Old Testament and given more weight in the New Testament, the heart is a central point To our relationship with God. According to the Old Testament, God sees the heart of a man suggesting its intentions, notions, and inclinations. In the New Testament, Paul expresses in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that the heart is pivotal in the process of salvation by needing to believe that God raised Christ from the dead and thereby it's justified. So how does doctrine influence the heart? First, it does this, by recognizing and acknowledging sin. Without sound doctrine, sin is unnoticeable. Say, well, what about morality? Morality is informed by you and I. It is not informed by doctrine. Doctrine is the thing by which we know what sin is. We can look at Scripture And we can hold to the absolute truths of sin. The absolute truth that sexual immorality is sin. The absolute truth that idol worship is sin. The absolute truth that disobedience to the command of God is sin. Absolute truth that murder is sin. Absolute truth that lying is sin. Sound doctrine informs us of sin. Knowing the Scripture informs us of sin. Sound doctrine influences our heart in that manner. Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? So I may not sin against you. Why? Because it informs us. Second, recognizing and acknowledging the Savior. You see, without sound doctrine, the Savior is dismissible. I don't know how many people I've talked to in my life, lost people that I've stepped up to share the gospel with that tell me, I don't need Jesus. 
People say it all the time by their actions, even boldly proclaiming it. Without sound doctrine, uh, people can just dismiss Jesus. It's why it affects us. Lastly, by the recognition and acknowledgement of the Spirit. Without sound doctrine, the Spirit is unusable or it's misusable. We know what the gifts of the Spirit are. We know how they are commanded in Scripture. But when we look at them doctrinally, it tells us how we should use them. The Holy Spirit's presence in your heart to help guide your decisions, to help guide your study of the Word, to help guide your decisions in momentary crisis. Without sound doctrine, we misuse that. Without sound doctrine, we don't need it even. Sound doctrine leads to a sound heart. Finally, third, sound doctrine leads to a sound conscience. This is an interesting one. We don't talk about conscience a lot in church. Sound doctrine leads to a sound conscience. What is the conscience? First, it's a witness to what we know. Have you ever had that conversation with yourself? You know the conversation I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't talk to yourself, at least in your mind. You have that conversation of, I know I left my keys right here. You have that conversation of, I know I parked in this section. Men, you have that conversation of, I know my wife told me to do something. The conscience informs us of what we already know. That is why doctrine is so important in our lives. If we know it, we can recall it. And I want you to understand that conscience is not this idea of the bad me and the good me on my shoulder trying to make a decision. That's not what conscience is. No matter how many Tom and Jerry episodes you watch, that is not what it is. The conscience is there to inform us. A witness to what we know. Second, it's a guide when it's informed by God. And that's a work of the Spirit. It, it's this inner working within us. And be honest with you, there are times that I know the Lord is speaking to me, and there are times also that I know the Spirit is guiding me. And to be able to sit there and know within your mind, this is how God would lead me, especially when you come to studying the Scriptures. We're going to talk about that next week. How sound doctrine will influence the reading and teaching of God's Word. If you want to know how to study your Bible, show up next week. We'll talk about it. But sound doctrine is there so that we can have a guide in our conscience that informs us, instructs us in how we should go. And how does all that work? Sound doctrine leads to a sound conscience. This is where it takes some help of the Spirit because a, sound, a conscience is subordinate to the Word of God. 
I see this time and time again where people try to rationalize something they're thinking through and say, well, I feel like the Lord is speaking this to me. I feel like, I feel like the Lord is wanting me to do this. One of the best questions, one of the best tools, one of the best gauges on any of that. If you ever feel that way, you need to ask yourself, is this scriptural? I can't tell you how many times somebody sat in my office and asked me, you know, I feel like this is the decision I should make. This is what I'm thinking. This is how my mind is thinking it. And I asked that question. And then all of a sudden, the answer seems so clear. Listen, if this is not informing your life, if the teaching and reading of the Scriptures, if the doctrinal value of this is not informing your life, I want to tell you you're missing the mark. And you're missing out. God has put pretty much all of it in here. You say, well, no, we can't. I mean, there wasn't social media back then, so God can't inform me on social media. Oh, yeah, I can. Let no word proceed out of your mouth. It's not beneficial, it's not uplifting, it's not encouraging. It's not good. You see, there is something in here for every situation in your life. And that is why sound doctrine is so important. That is why seeing this for what it is is so important. That is why believing it, following it, is so important. 1 Timothy 1.5 The aim is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Sound doctrine, church, is for our lives. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As they begin to play and sing, they're just going to play through a couple verses. I want you to spend a moment asking the Lord to search your heart. Some of us, there are things that we know that we are not using the Scripture to inform in our lives. There are some of us that we can make a decision, a rational decision, on a moment's notice, without even consulting the Spirit of God or the Holy Word of God. Sound doctrine. Knowing what we believe. Studying it. Having faith in it. Trusting in it. It does so much for our lives. How would God do that in your life? As we begin to go through this series, I want you to pray. I want you to just ask the Lord, show me God. Show me how doctrine will inform my life. I guarantee you, you will. You may be sitting here and you may say, I have no clue what doctrine is. Jump into the Scripture. You may be sitting here and say, 
DJ, when you were talking about, you know, just me not even needing Jesus, that really hit home with me. Yeah, it might have. Because that's a common belief in our world, is that somehow we're going to get by on our good works, somehow we're going to get by on being just good enough, being a good old boy. Sometime, somehow we're going to get by in this world by doing a bunch of good things. And the reality is, is it ain't going to amount to much if Jesus ain't in it. Jesus is necessary. That's doctrinal. You want to hear some doctrine? Let me tell you. Jesus died on a cross for your sins to pay the penalty, the wrath of God that would be poured out. So that if you would confess with your mouth that He is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead three days after, that you would be saved. That you would spend a life abundant and a life eternal. Knowing Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. He draws you. Don't turn Him away. As they play and sing, you begin to pray. If you need to come talk to this pastor about knowing Jesus, then you walk down here. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Spend a moment seeking the Lord.